Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast, the podcast for bench warmers. I'm your host, Neville Dunhoe. Happy New Year to all my listeners. I hope you have a good one. Today I have Australian out half and former Warthogs out half, Bernard Foley, on the show. He's playing his rugby now with Kobata Spears in the Japanese Top League. We talk all things rugby and life in Japan. Give a listen. Enjoy. Bernard Foley. Bernard, thanks a million for coming on the pod. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's always good to uh, cross borders and, and talk a bit of code and have a laugh. Yeah, well, you say cross borders, but uh, I was looking you up on your Wikipedia page. There's a lot of uh, work there, so it's, I didn't have to do any homework. But um, it says you got relations in Cork on your dad's side of the family. Is that right? Uh, it's probably dad writing the, uh, my old Wikipedia. But um, yeah, I, we definitely do. We've got uh, family connections back to, to Cork and um, I think more specifically Ballyhooley. Um, Ballyhooley. Yeah, I've actually never I've actually never been there. So um, as far as I've got is Dublin. But uh, yeah, there is a, a, my brother's name's Connor Foley. So I think that's a pretty Irish name. Oh, definitely. Actually, funnily enough, you say Ballyhooley because there's one other famous rugby player that comes from Ballyhooley. You probably played against him a few times, a tight head prop. I don't know, he played for Ireland. Can take his name, no? Is <laughs> that uh, it was, it was a big uh, Ty Furlong? No. Uh, no, Mike Ross. He was uh, just Mike before. So, yeah, yeah, he came from. It's a small little village. So, small village, but it's after producing two good rugby players, it seems, you know. So. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if I can claim much of it, but uh, yeah, there's some, some connection that goes uh, a long way back. Right. Um, then I suppose we'll, we'll go looking at. Um, uh, I suppose speaking about, I was looking up your, you started at, like, I think you started playing in, in university, was it? And then you started sevens, like, you know, like, uh, oh yeah, before I wanted to ask that, like, being your Irish connection, if was it always the Wallabies? Or if that didn't work out, would you have been tempted to move up north? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if, if nothing worked out, I would have uh, explored all avenues. Um, yeah. You know, I was, a, I was a sports nut, a rugby nut. Um, growing up and, you know, followed all teams, loved watching it. I remember, funny you say that, I went to the 2003 World Cup um, and, and a, a friend of ours had tickets to go watch Ireland. I think it was Ireland, Romania. And uh, I went I went along as a, as a young kid and uh, I remember singing the Ireland's Call and, and, and trying, to, trying to learn the words to it. So right. uh, that, was, that was as far as I got to supporting Ireland. Yeah. Um, uh, it was uh, again. Who knows how, how it un- would have unfolded? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, then I suppose the other thing I want to say that was on your Wikipedia, you've the nickname Iceman. Well, I know why you have that because I saw I was watching some of your highlights last night, and I saw you got obviously that kick against Scotland uh, in the World Cup, and I'm sorry you got that kick for the Warthogs in the Super Rugby final. But it also said you have the smallest hands in rugby. Like, what's that about, Dave? Is someone measuring your hands or I don't get the reference there? Uh, no, I don't know. I think it's probably Will Genier or someone trying to have a laugh. Uh, right. I mean, he, used, he used to try and deflect, I think, himself. So, yeah. Uh, he, threw it onto me. yeah he threw it onto me a little bit. Right. And then we'll go, I suppose, then we'll start in with your career, um, Bernard. Like, was it always rugby from day one? Because we know Australia is a massive sporting nation. Like, you know, like you got Aussie rules, you got 
rugby league? Like, what else do you guys got down? You got a lot of sports. Like, was it rugby union from day one? Uh, yeah, rugby was probably my primary sport. Um, but like you said, in Australia, we're pretty blessed to have uh, to have all different sports. And, um, you know, through my schooling days, I'd play any sport to get me out of the classroom. And, um, you know, I was playing a different sport nearly every every afternoon or every night of the, of the week. Um, just to, to get out, to enjoy it and uh, be a part of a team. So growing up, it was cricket, it was rugby, basketball, um, touch footy. There was, you know, there was absolutely everything that we could be doing outside. And um, I think that uh, that's probably the one luxury that we do have in Australia. And we and definitely like no, we we have it here in Ireland. We have Gaelic football and we have hurling, and you can see it. It definitely complements rugby, you know. But um, and I'd say it's the same for you guys in Australia. You can see the Aussie rules definitely helps and stuff like that. But and how did you get into rugby then? Like, what was your what was your? I, I was trying to look up the name of your local club because I just see that you started kind of playing in university and then you led on to sevens. But what you obviously played rugby before that, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I played from a from a young age. I had a brother who's sort of the year above me. Um, and so dad pretty much put me into his team. And then when I was old enough, uh, five or six to start, we, we would have started as a, as a team. I was um, at the school, the local school, which was Redfield College, um, and played played all the way up to, to year 10 or year nine. And then I went to um, Aloysius College. So played uh, played my first 15 on my schoolboy footy at Allos and you know it was sort of not too sure um didn't make a lot of the rep sides or anything and uh finished school um and Sydney Uni came with a with a uh you know an offer to go play there I knew Sydney Uni was a um a, a quite a successful club and you know they had a great um professionalism around and, and an amateur club and uh it, they provided me an opportunity and I, and I jumped at it and um you know I, I probably not with not knowing what I was going to do after after school um, to to go to a club like that I was I was very fortunate also to combine that with a bit of study uh, yeah. was was something that allowed me to to probably realise um, a bit of a dream that I, you know that once I got that taste I wanted to be a, a bit of a professional rugby player I wanted to to explore that avenue a bit more and um, Sydney Uni gave me that opportunity. Yeah, and speak speak to me then, I suppose, about the sevens, because I see you compete in the 2010 Commonwealth Games, was it? And uh, you received a silver medal, and that was on, in, was that on in Delhi, India? Like, obviously, you see the value in the sevens competition then, because uh, obviously that got you in the limelight more, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I, you know, everyone's got a new, uh, their own avenue. Everyone's got a different journey. And uh, for me, I played two years at Colts at Sydney Uni, which is under 20s, and... Um, uh, after two years of playing that, I was lucky enough to get a call up by Michael O'Connor, who was the sevens coach at the time. And, um, you know, I think that was pretty much my first serious sevens competition of, of any age, uh, really, was was when I went into trial and, and going to a camp for the Aussie sevens. And, um, again, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I reckon it was um, a big aspect of my progression and my development was to hone your skills in, in seven where it is... Uh, a game you can't hide. You've got to have strong fundamentals, um, yeah, and you get to work on on all, all aspects of the game. So, I uh, as an as a 19, 20 year old kid going into the sevens program, I thought I thought it was great for me, and you know, also teaches you hard work. Um, you got to be extremely fit. You got to be quick, um, and you've got to have all the skills to to match it up. So I was 
lucky enough to go into a really good program, go into a team um, that was, you know, uh, really aspiring to, to do good things. And we were lucky enough because I suppose sevens here in Australia um, at that time definitely was a, it was quite um, a rotating squad, you know, yeah. sort of whoever could just make up the numbers. But uh, it was probably the first couple of times there that we're, we actually got a bit of a core squad for for 12 months or, or for two years. And, um, you know, we were able to actually achieve some some pretty incredible things. We, we won a tournament in at London, which is, you know, a, a still a massive highlight of mine. And, yeah. uh, and then to go to the Commonwealth Games and um, unfortunately lose the final. It, it's always hard to say we won silver, but we uh, we sort of lost the gold as well, which was, um, which is tough. But, you know, it was a great experience and, uh, you know, something I'll, I'll always remember. Um, I'm interested in because I was looking up as I said you played sevens uh, goal kicking where does that come from then because um, like, there's not much there's not a whole pile of kicking in sevens like you, were you always a goal kicker the whole way up well it's funny you say that because we used to do the sevens camps and go away uh, go away and play tournaments and, um, and do that for a long time and then you go back and play 15s and it felt like I hadn't punted the ball uh, um, or, or forgot how to how to kick it. So, yeah. and definitely goal kicking was a uh, an art that you don't use in in seven. So, uh, it's something I've always done. I think um, as as fly half, especially, especially through your younger days, or, or just you know wanting to have your hands on the ball and do that, you always involved um, kicking the ball and, and and putting it on the tee and trying. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up, I, I used to. Uh, look up to Matt Burke and yeah, he was the goal kicker and an incredibly good one at the Wallabies and at the Waratahs. So just naturally that's where that sort of um, passion came from. And, you know, something I've, I enjoy, something I, I enjoyed and um, just sort of continued with it. Never thought I was going to, you know, do much with it, but um, yeah, it just happened to be. Yeah. And then, I suppose that led you on then to the Warthogs. Uh, like, did they did they spot you from the sevens, or how did you get in there? And like, talk to me about that team because, as I said, I was watching the highlights last night of that uh, Super Rugby game between yourselves and Crusaders, and like, what a team that was when you look at it. Like, I think uh, Kirtley Beale was in the deal team. Um, Flo, uh Hooper, I think Michael Hooper was only twenty two when he was captain. You know, so like, talk to me about how he got into Warthogs and talk to me about that team. Well, yeah, the funny thing was the, the Waratahs, uh, it was a couple of years before and I'd just finished a, uh, the Seven Series. Um, you know, it, it finished sort of late May or um, early June and I came back to, to club footy. I think I played one week and uh, the Waratahs had a, a number of injuries after a long season and, um, you know, they, I was lucky enough to just to get a call up. I think uh, um, I'm not too sure. Too, I hadn't played much before um, leading up to it, so... You know, I went into camp and it was actually there. Uh, it was the quarterfinal um, against the Blue Auckland Blues in at um, at Ellis Park there, um, at Eden Park, sorry. Yeah. And I, I was just went went into the program not really knowing. And uh, I remember walking in on the Monday. Um, Phil War, I think, announced he was it was his last game and he was retiring. Um, Curtly Bill made an announcement to the team that he was going. He'd signed for, with the Rebels for the next year. So. Um, it was all happening that week, and yeah. uh, I, I was lucky enough to to get on. Um, unfortunately, we lost, and, and the, that was the season over. But I, and I played the last about ten or so minutes, you know, and um, just really again enjoyed being part of something. The Waratahs were a bit of a uh, well, it was a dream as a kid. So uh, when you 
when I got that experience and then I suppose from that led, a, led on to getting a contract full-time with them uh, the following year. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, a bit of a, a tumultuous sort of start to, to my career and yeah. at the Waratahs. But, uh, yeah, and then I suppose over the next couple of years, there, was, there were a number of changes that sort of um, a fair few of the – a couple of the senior guys um, – was sort of sort of left, uh, you know. As I said, Phil War left. Uh, guys, guys like Ryan Cross, who was involved in my thing, um, Beric Barnes, um, you know, our backs are those sort of stalwarts of the game. They sort of left left the Waratahs, and then um, came twenty fourteen. Curtly Bill came back to the uh, to the Waratahs from the Rebels. You know, we'd had uh, Nick Fibs as well come back. Uh, as you said, Michael Hooper was only really young in his uh, in his days, and, and we had Dave Dennis as the captain to really gel together. Um, and it was just a really uh, my whole memory of that season was just how well the squad um, got along, you know, and, and the journey we we went on. And um, the games stick out, yes, but it was more so the memories and the camaraderie that uh, we sort of grew in that squad and were able to handle. And I think. That went a long way, especially in that final when uh, when the pressure was on or when um, we were down with uh, down by a few points with uh, only a couple of minutes to go. Guys sort of really played for each other, and um, you know it sort of it all counted in in that 2014 final. Yeah, there's there's well there's so many big names in in that team and like in the Australian team, but there's three people I do want to ask you about because um, I must I'll ask you first about Michael Checker because. We obviously here in Ireland, we'd be very familiar with him when he coached Leinster and I'm from yeah. Cork, so we might be a relation as well. But uh, Munster's <laughs> my team, Munster's my team being from Cork and uh, like Leinster and Munster always have a massive rivalry. Talk to me about Michael Shekka, what he brought in when he came to the Waratahs and the Wallabies. Yeah, Czech is, uh, you know, very familiar with him. I had him for, for so many years at Waratahs and then at Wallabies and, you know, he was exactly what the Waratahs needed. Uh, back in 2013, when he first came in, uh, he he just brought um, you know one he's a he's a big figure and, and he's charismatic and he's um, he he's, he's he demands a lot of people and players and everything. But that's exactly what we probably needed in terms of uh, um, finding our own identity. You know, finding what the Waratahs meant or what they stood for, um, and then implementing a, a game plan and a and uh, a way that we, we were proud of and that the people of New South Wales would be proud of, to come along and support us and watch us. And, um, you know, in those early years, it was it was incredibly tough. I remember the pre-seasons were, were, were not much fun, but uh, it just showed the, the power of hard work. Um, yeah. When you get through those hard times, the bonds and the connections you form off from that. Uh, and how that can help leading into into the season and to big games and and everything and you know he especially those those early years really set a foundation for for that and then, and then that also carried on I suppose when he when he went into the um, the Wallabies role at, at short notice leading into that 2015 World Cup. Uh, Michael Hooper, I just want to ask about him because like what a what a warrior that guy seems to be. Like, you know, like I watch, obviously we'd watch the rugby championship up here every summer and um, that guy just keeps coming back for more and more, no matter how many beatings he guys, guys might get against the Kiwis. But like, you know, he just seems to be made of steel. Yeah, he's uh, he's exactly what you said. He's a warrior. You know, I've, um, 
had a, the fortunate, um, you know, been in the side seat next to a lot of his uh, his journey, and he he just never ceases to amaze what he's puts his body through, how he recovers, how he um, is is able to get up and perform again the following week uh, is truly inspirational. And, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's been, always been an absolute pleasure to run out alongside a guy like that who, who puts all every, his body on the line um, each and every game. You know, there's no one on the field going to outwork uh, Michael Hooper. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's been one of the um, joys of, of playing Waratahs and Wallabies is to play alongside him. And the final, Claire, I have to ask you about before I get back to your own uh, question is because this obviously made world news is uh, Israel Flow. Like, what a player, but like, you know, like he kind of strayed offside, I suppose, a small bit that time. Like, you know, what did what did you make of that inside in the Australian camp? Like, you know, or was I suppose that was just a difficult time to be around the Wallabies camp, you know? Yeah, it, you know, it's not a, it, it was, and it, it happened through, sort of through Waratah's. Um, uh, the Waratah season, but it was sort of, I think cracks were sort of appearing beforehand. But you know, Izzy was a freak of an athlete. He was a he was a a great teammate. Um, you know, up and leading up to those number of years before that, he again was professional. He was always um, able to perform, especially in the big games. He he would turn up, and he he was a freak of an athlete. So. Um, yeah, I think Izzy sort of um, he, he realigned in terms of his his goals and his passions, and you know, and what he wanted to stand for. And for that, I definitely can't bag the guy. Like he's each each individual, you do it for your own reasons. Um, the only thing is, what I what I, I would say was that when it starts to affect the team, then you then you have to have to really think about um, what you're doing, you know. And yeah, I think. Yeah that time and that period um, thinking back and reflecting on it, you know, uh, it just, it started taking away from the team, you know, yeah. guys were having to decide and choose sort of what side they were or, um, you know, every time you went to a, a media conference, you're answering questions about that and not about the footy. And so that, that especially puts young guys in, um, in a, in a really tough situation and, you know, it's it's not why you're playing footy to be going out there and and yeah. talking at all the off field. You wanted to you're talking on the field. No, definitely that like that made world news at the time, and it was such a pity. Like you know, well, whether you agree or not agree with it, like it's such a pity because Australia were the ones that lost out because he was such a good player. Like you know, but um, then I ask you, uh, Bernard, about um, I, I I have to ask about you're in Japan at the moment and you're playing with the. The Spears, is it? I can't even pronounce the Koba Spears. Um, I got to ask you about Spears. Yeah, I got to ask you about um because I had Chris Robshaw on the show a few months ago, and um, he obviously is playing in San Francisco now. Like, and I see um is it Quay Cooper's in Japan also, and I see is it Pollard, the South African out half, is in Japan. Um, why why did you decide to go to Japan? You know, like obviously, look, a lot of people will say. Oh, it's for the money or whatever. But did you go over for like, for like real good ambitions to add more to this team over here? Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm here playing for the Kubota Spears. Uh, for me, it was a new challenge. I was um, after my time at the, at the Waratahs and everything. I, I was excited for a new challenge. I think I I needed it for 
for personal and, and for in my playing career. You know, I yeah. needed a needed to, to put myself in an unknown or uncomfortable environment and, and, and wanting to succeed, come over here and, um, you know, achieve more in my playing days. I think when I came to to Japan, it was I, I had an experience a number of years ago, six years ago now, um, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the programs, um, you know, and then getting that, that sort of experience through the the World Cup again in 2019. Uh, I think you know everyone has an opinion about Japanese or Japanese rugby being uh, inferior, but it's the programs here, the players who are who are playing here, and the competition is definitely not. You know, I yeah. think uh, one who comes here is surprised at how um, how how high of a level this uh, competition is, and how you know each each week um, there's a really innovative style or different way to play the game. And I think the uh, you, you saw that in the 2019 World Cup and how Japanese, um, they threw the, the game plan out of the window for, or out the, out the window for a lot of how top nations have been playing, you know, and yeah, they actually played a really exciting, expansive. And um, I think they, you know, impressed and in, 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 it's sort of, they were probably the uh, the story a lot of that World Cup, you know, is, is how well they they did, it. and I think that's that's something that uh, that's inspired me and to come up here and to really, um, you know, implant and, and when you come up to the teams here too, you've got, it's such a melting pot, you know, you get a lot of the Japanese, obviously, but you get uh, I'm lucky to team with a South African head coach. I've got a couple of South Africans. I've got Ryan Crotty um, uh, from New Zealand All Blacks. You know, and then a couple of Koreans. So you actually come to together into these teams, and you really um, have to forge an, a new identity. You have to. You can't just do what you've yeah. done at home. And um, really enjoyed trying to understand the other guys in the team. You and know, what's, the reason. What, what, what's the league like, Bernard? Is the is the league very competitive? Like, is it or? Yeah, definitely, definitely, and especially in the time I've been here in the last four or five years. Leading up to that, I think the influx of um, foreign coaches, of also foreign SNCs and foreign players, have lifted the the level of the league dramatically. You know, yeah. I think as everyone said or thought back in the day, you just come here for a pension. It's definitely not like that now. You know, you train, you train for three and a half months. You play a num, you play you know, six to 10 preseason games. And then you have a, a, a season now that goes for 16 games, you know, yeah. back in the day, did it all, you come here for, for 10 weeks in your home, but no, you've got a proper season now. It's home and away. It's, um, it's, it's a genuine competition. And, you know, I think it's starting to, well, it already is attracting the best player in the world because of the, uh, the quality and the standard. Well, it's your second spell in Japan, so I've done a lot of travelling, but I've never got to Japan, but I heard it's supposed to be a beautiful country. But um, the other thing I'd ask you then is, how long is your contract over there? And, like, I suppose now with the Gitto rule, like, is the Wallabies door, is that still always open to you? Is that a thing you'd like to... Because, you know, we're, we're not that far away from the World Cup now again. Oh, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a question I get asked quite a fair, uh, quite a fair bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I've got all the time in the world for the Wallabies. I... Uh, uh, I still love the team and, and love seeing them succeed and, and do well. Uh, and, you know, I've also got a lot of close mates there. Uh, I, I really re reflected when I got here that I needed a change. Um, I needed to 
sort of um, go and challenge myself in a new environment, um, you know, to grow as a, as a player, to grow as a person and, and, and do all that. So yeah. for me, you know, the, the World Cup in, in, a, in a number of years uh, is really exciting and really, um, you know, you know what a what a great thing being a part of already two World Cups to, to go to a to go to another. But if, if it would only be to do that if I'm doing it for the right reasons. If I um, can gen, genuinely feel I'm at my best as a player um, in my in my with my condition, with my skills, uh, my mindset, and that also yeah. the team would uh, I'd be able to give give to the team. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, and no, great to see those guys developing and, and the squad um, evolving and gaining experience and, and, you know, playing top level matches. And uh, I think it's uh, it's exciting times for Australian rugby. Well, uh, I suppose then I was looking up um, a few of your highlights because 2015, I thought you really had a great World Cup and um, being an honorary Irishman and being an Australian, you must be, a, you must have been delighted they were saying England packing in the World Cup in 2015 because I was watching like the two tries you scored, like the I think the pass Will Guinea gave you was just perfect out in front of you and you were able to run into the space. And then the other try you scored was switching the play, you know, it was just brilliant. Like, um, I talked to me about that game because that was just a, a massive game and on the world stage in Twickenham, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a funny one. It's probably the one of the games where you know everything goes to plan, and yeah. you know. Not many games like that, and for that happening that night um, was incredible. What I remember more so was the sort of the build-up and the anticipation of that game. Um, I know England had lost the week before to Wales, so it became a uh, a do or die because we were in that that pool of death and the anticipation and the hype um, from their play, their their, their media, um, all the fans and everything. And I just even remember the bus. Trip. We were staying in town in Westminster, going out to Twickenham, and yes, everyone was cut in white jerseys. It was the uh, the big fan zones um, were just full, over over overcrowded, and um, you know it was just it, I was just excited, so excited by uh, getting the opportunity, and 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 knowing that we uh, I'd have to say to the coaches, you know, we we sort of prep for those games for three months because you, you sort of get that luxury in, in in the World Cups is to have a great preparation for it. And, um, you know, in that second try I scored where we, where we switch back, we, we go open and we come back. That was a – it was a planned move and it was sort of one one thing we tried to run it at training a lot and I couldn't – we couldn't execute it much. Um, yeah. I think uh, we, I was also running it with different personnel. So – uh, I was running it with um, Israel, but when um, Rob Horn gets injured in the first couple of minutes of the game, uh, Kurtley Bill comes on and and Izzy shifted. So it was it was KB who uh, who ended up in that position, and yeah. you know really lucky that it, it came off on the night. But you know it's just those small things that uh, that you remember that it didn't work at training, but then when we we got out there, we were um, we, it was lucky to to come off and just how the coaches had designed it. Talk to me about in mental strength because, like, we've got a mutual friend, uh, Brendan, and um, we were just talking that, like, you know, like, I, Ron O'Gara here, we'd be very familiar with, like, he had a tough time with media and everything in the out half position, you know, like, you must have went through something similar because, you know, if you, 
if you if you get the kicks, you're the best guy in the world, and if you miss the kicks, you're the biggest asshole in the world. Like you know, so like talk to me about that, like because I know the Australian media can be tough at times. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's funny. It's part and parcel of of the game and the position and and, and it all, but it's it's just something you've got to continue to work on. You know, I think no one is born with that um, complete and absolute resilience. It's uh, it's it's a good way to reflect to grow and and to put things in place about you know what what you care about what you what matters to you um and at the end of the day if you're completely confident in your preparation that you've done everything possible uh to to go out there and you've left no stone unturned um to go out there and perform uh that uh, when it's all said and done when that final whistle's happened you can be content that you've you've done everything possible and i think that's Something that you know I've always tried to do is, is make sure my preparations on point, um, you know, and just find a process that that you work and you can that works for you and that you can repeat it over and over. So for those big kicks, you know, you're not considering all the different outcomes because it, that's so easily to do. You can stand in front of the the kick that you've done a hundred times, but if you start thinking about everything that's going on, um, it's not going to help with uh, with with doing the actual process and, and knocking the kick over. Yeah. Um, and then just one, I put up a poll last night of people could ask questions and one, one or two questions came in, but like finally on that 2015 World Cup, because you did so well in it, you know, and you got to the final and like you came up against a, very, a New Zealand side at the peak of their powers. What led to such the good form that you went on? You know, because like like everything went right. It was a great team, and you know you were if you well if you'd a bit more luck, you know, it could have went another way for you in the final. What do you think? What went right for you that you played so well and that the team played so well? Um, yeah, it's interesting. It probably goes back to where we spoke before about Czech. You know, I think he was um, able to, to design a really good preparation. You know, we had three or four months leading up into that. Uh, to the tournament he was also I'll, I'll talk about personnel because you know the Gitto law was came in for that that yeah. season and bringing guys like Drew Drew Mitchell and Matt Gitto back into the uh, to the fold just added a level of experience of calmness um, and just you know it added a left foot that we had in either yeah, in yeah. Matt Gitto uh, which was crucial as well but you know I think just having that that, that those guys around the squad um, settled a lot of everyone, everyone else. And um, I think everyone else just took to the challenge, whatever was thrown at us by coaches, by travel, by um, the whole tournament, you know, we were able to, to, to come up with a way to, 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 to work it out. And I think, you know, we went into that tournament, lost, it was, we were in the pool of death as, as everyone had spoken about. And, um, you know, they, we were probably the, the team that everyone was riding off not to get through. And yeah. um, I think that that game, each game we sort of grew a bit more and we learned a bit more about ourselves and, uh, you know, we, we, we became awfully close, although it still hurts and I haven't watched the game yeah. uh, ever since. But, you know, it was uh, a, a real mixture of things, guys, um, really just committing to the journey and, 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 really embracing every challenge and then I suppose the personnel that was in and amongst that who were able to sort of you know lead and and, and be led and um, you know that yeah. took us through that whole experience 
Uh, final few questions, Bernard, because I'm interested to know, I think you kind of said it already anyway, but I'll ask it again. Um, because uh, I'm a big fan of Australian rugby. I remember I watched uh, when I was younger, I'm around the same age as you. I would have grown up watching uh, Matt Burke, Phil Wall, John Eels, George Smith. Um, geez, I can't, I can't think of who else. Um, who would, who would be your childhood hero out of that team growing up? Um, yeah, there was a, there was a few, wasn't it? You know, I, was, yeah. I grew up in that golden era where I think they at one stage they'd won every trophy that was possible um, through the the early two thousands there, and you know it was a uh, a pretty special and, and inspiring to to be a kid uh, at that time. And I think I looked up to, like I said, Matt Burke. Um, he played at my, the local uh, the rugby club at Eastwood Juniors there, so um, followed him. Stephen Larkin played 10. I was playing 10, so he was another guy. Um, and I was lucky enough to to be coached by him as well uh, for a number of years. And then there was I, I, I like Todd Ikefu for some reason. I think he I just um, embraced the way he played and how he uh, how he always led from the front, I suppose. And um, yeah, there's a number of guys I suppose I looked up to, but those probably three stand out. Do you think the Wallabies is still in a good place at the moment? Do you think it still has that? Bora and the jersey because like I like obviously there's a lot of Irish out in Australia and like a lot of my friends follow the rugby and like we said like we know how big Aussie rules has gone there rugby league cricket you know there's people say that rugby union has gone down the last few years would you what's your take on that? Uh, oh it's definitely hasn't been at the level that we've all wanted it to be and, and, and expected it to be I suppose and for that reason there are a lot of um, fans that are, are fair weather, not fair weather, but you know they that they're spoiled for choice. Like we said, they're, they're spoiled for choice in Australia. So for us, uh, I think rugby is definitely in a in a exciting period. You know, I think we've um, we've we've seen and we've learnt hopefully from where we've been. Where we things can do different, programs to be installed better. Um, you know, not just at the Wallabies, but at Super Rugby level, at club footy. Um, we need more alignment to and pathways, you know, to bring junior kids through. So there is a um, a genuine journey or pathway for them to go from their schoolboy or as kids to be inspired and to be able to reach uh, yeah. that, that those top levels. So, you know, I think uh, the the negativity is all changed. The glass is definitely half full, and I think I'm really excited to see what's going to happen this next. You know, I'm 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 going to be the optimist and say Australia's going to get the uh, the next World Cup. Okay. I'll put it out. And uh, you know, I think leading up to that and beyond, you know, it can be a really special time for Australian rugby and um, for kids who are playing rugby at the, at the moment. Um, you know, it is a, it's still such a great game. It's a global game, uh, yeah. and that's why it sort of it, it I, I I might be a bit biased, but doesn't compare with the uh, the other games that are in Oz. Right. And um, the other thing I want to just yeah, that you're an Australian because like you like like I think like I, to be honest, Australia is a lovely part of the world, but I'd also hate to be from Australia in a way because you're so far from everything. Like, can I ask you about the commuting? Because when you played in the Super Rugby and played in the Rugby Championship, that must have been a big pain in the ass, like having to jump on all these flights and stay in all these hotels. Like, you know, I, I think eventually rugby might go the way of the soccer. You'll get the best players in Europe and then there'll be an international break. Like, what did you make of all that travelling when you were with the Wallabies? 
Yeah, you do. You, you rack up the frequent flyer miles yeah. pretty, uh, pretty quick. Um, you know, I'm, there's there's some trips that you do where you go for you're at home. You go for a week in South Africa. You go for a week in Argentina. And then you fly home and 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 it's for three weeks you're jet lagged and you, yeah, yeah. You, it's like what's what the body doesn't know what's going on. But it's uh, I think that's also the exciting and and one of the luxuries that we get to play an international game and a global game is that you get that opportunities to to see uh europe you get to see americas you get to see you know argentina and africa and you know i think we're close enough to new zealand as well that uh you see the good and bad side of of them but you know it's uh it's it's not ideal and i suppose um when you are traveling so many different timelines and different competitions just to play games, it's, it's hard for our fans to follow that. I think that's the, the hardest thing um, for supporting rugby in Australia is the time zones is the um, knowing when games are on and or run on and, um, and just having a consistent product to show every week. But, you know, I think as a player, you, you really embrace the, the opportunities to go over and play in new countries and, and, explore new cities and you know and also see how games are played differently all around the world so uh you might see it as a uh as a bad thing but i'll take the sunshine down there any day Uh, best player to play with and to play against um i suppose michael hooper you know again just a a war horse a war horse he just um yeah just applies himself 100 percent each and every week regardless of uh, how he's feeling, what's he going on. He'll be the hardest working on the field. Hard to play against. Um, I suppose, you know, we, we get very familiar with Field the All Blacks. So um, I, Dan Carter was always a guy of, of great composure to play against. And, or Richie McCaw, you just knew he was, um, I suppose, hunting hunting rucks and tackles um, yeah. all game. And 2023, will we see you in a Wallabies shirt, uh, Bernard? Uh, as a as a supporter, uh, definitely uh, <laughs> player. Who knows? But now I'll be wearing a Wallabies jersey. Jersey, uh, either way. All right. And finally, I do this for all my guests. Uh, Sixty second questions where you have to think on the spot. So, uh, your go-to karaoke song. Uh, in excess, don't change. Uh, favorite holiday. Uh, Cuba, I think. Who who would play you in a movie? Uh, I like to say Denzel Washington, but um, if not him, if he's busy, maybe Brad Pitt. Best book you ever read? Best book? That's a good one. Um, Man Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. What's your weakness? Um, tidiness. Proudest moment? Probably making my debut. Uh, favorite chocolate bear? Say that again. Favorite chocolate bear? Ch- chocolate candy. Favorite. Oh, chocolate bar. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I like. I just like the the, the, the mixed nuts. You know, something um, just the normal Cadbury uh, mixed nuts. Um, uh, or leg day or chest day? Uh, chest. What, what is something you've never tried but want to? Uh, bungee jumping. And finally, Bernard, tea or coffee? 
coffee. All right, no bother. Bernard, thanks a million. <laughs> um, I think James O'Connor follows us as well, and now hopefully uh, we, we have yourself following us as well. And uh, thanks a million for your patience there, because beforehand it took us a while to get the sound going. But uh, look, I wish you all the best in Japan, and thanks a million for coming on the pod. No, no, thanks for having me on. It's always uh, good to talk a bit of code, and yeah. um, you know it's great to talk with people all over the world. And who knows, you might be a distant relative, hey? No, but <laughs> make sure you come to to Ballyhooly next time you're in Ireland. Yeah, I'll call you out. I'll you owe me a point. Yeah, yeah. No bother. Thanks a million, Bernard. Okay. No problem. Cheers. See you again. Bye, bye. Thanks, Bernard. And thanks for listening. And thanks again to Wallabies Out Half, Bernard Foley. Um, I still remember that 2015 World Cup as if it was yesterday where he was in top, top form and wouldn't it be great to see him back in a Wallabies shirt again for the World Cup in France in 2023. I'll definitely tune in more to the Japanese top league to see how he goes and all the other big players that play in the Japanese top league but I wish him all the best with Kubota Spears. It'll be a, it's certainly an interesting time to be watching the top league in Japan. But uh, until next time, when I have someone else from the world of sport on, remember you can get this podcast on Spotify and wherever wherever else you get your podcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue, I'm out of here, and thanks for listening.